0: Friends, and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I have a photographic memory for memes. <laughs> With me is.
1: I'm Lindsay, and I hate musicals.
2: Oh, controversial, but I agree. Uh, and I'm Sarah, and <laughs> I can't spell spaghetti.
0: <laughs> no, but you love spaghetti.
2: <laughs> I love spaghetti, and I can't spell it. My shopping list, it's always, like, spaghetti. (laughs) It's
1: It's very confusing. The other part of this show is that uh, behind the scenes every week, we start on the same wiki page, and we click around until Curiouser and Curiouser, until we have found exactly the weirdest page that we think we are going to find, completely unrelated to the original topic. So remind me where we started this week. This week we started on the page
2: for Moby Dick. Oh, yeah, Moby Dick. The book. That's right. (laughs) And where did you guys end up, Drew?
0: I ended up on Venom.
1: Oh. Venom. Nice. And Lindsay? I could stand to learn more about Venom. I ended up on thimble Thimble Tickle. Thimble Tickle, yes. That
2: is so cute. So I landed on Harriet Martineau. Okay. All right. And she's she's a badass female from the 1900s. Oh, nice. So before we dive into them, let's start with our weekly question to get to know each other better and to get to know you better. If you were to design a family crest, what would you put on it? Lindsay?
1: I think if I was so... I feel like my whole family doesn't have enough in common to put everything on a crest. But if I was <laughs> to make a crest just for me and the lineage that comes after me, I would start out with one of those like poorly drawn skulls that's on like 1600s New England uh, gravestones, the like skull and crossbones with like all as many teeth as possible. Um, I would do I would do all have, of the teeth <laughs> they just smile like so big they're so cute and I would probably <laughs> instead of like the bones instead of the crossbones I think I would put like maces because I, I I love the slack of of maces when I'm playing games and I think as a as a nice lovely background I would have a little kitten uh, curled up with its peats over its other peats and uh, tucking in his tail by his little sleeping face.
2: That sounds real cute and wholesome. Okay. (laughs) What about you, Drew? Can you live up to the cute and wholesome?
0: Can I live? No. Um, (laughs) Just straight up. No. If I were to design a family crest, um, a lot of my family are actually iron workers so um, I would probably put something related to ironwork. I'm a pleb and don't know too much about ironwork. So probably like a, a steel girder or something. Um, and then uh, my grandparents got their start in America in a Ford plant. So I probably have some sort of like Ford logo. Oh my God, this sounds like a like a little kid's like,
1: oh, iron and Ford. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's so wholesome. It is very wholesome.
0: And um, I think I would also have something involving science because a lot of my families are in the sciences, and I don't know how to represent science. Maybe like a a, one of those old models of the nucleus. You know. Mm. And then uh, probably
1: a, a ding dang computer because I spent too much time on that. This could all fit. I, I can already see this in one of those penny machines, you know, like where you like crush a penny into like a weird like souvenir. Yeah. <laughs> like what you've described is like what goes on those pennies (laughs) i don't know it's like (laughs) somehow it's like how about we just grab something from every wing of the museum and put it on the one penny
2: so don't laugh i used to collect those pennies all around america every time i went so i have a whole book of those weird random pennies and it is exactly right the the random shit that is on those pennies is incredible
1: yeah. <laughs> Sorry Drew, I didn't mean to say that your crest was no, brand No, no, I love it.
0: No. <laughs> no, it's it's actually like I think it is one of those random pennies. <laughs> it's like what my, my family is just a random penny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, oh. Sarah, Sarah, what about you? What have you decided for your family crest? Okay. So think for
2: my family crest, I might design one for like my future family and incorporate a little bit of my partner in it so i think it would definitely have spaghetti because even though i can't spell it we freaking love eating it so it would have like spaghetti bog on there and then it would have a greyhound who is our beautiful fur baby um like slurping up the spaghetti um and then it'd probably have like a cup of tea and oh, and that's probably it. Aww. They're my favourite things.
1: <laughs> that's tea excellent. and crumpets. Yeah, maybe a crumpet. I do enjoy a good crumpet. Or a very fancy dog drinking tea. Yes, there we there go. There you go. As we were saying before, we started out on Moby Dick, but Drew. <laughs> so you landed on Venom. I. Yes. Even though you guys may not believe me now, I think Drew and I ended up in the same corner of the internet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I I would like to uh, propose that we do like a like a Sarah spaghetti sandwich. Okay. Uh, you want me to go first?
2: Sure. Yeah, why not? Like Dive in. I want to learn more about Venom. Yeah.
0: Venom. So... I'm gonna say this. I'm the asshole this week, and I closed the page, oh, and I
1: okay. Hang on. I take offense <laughs> because of oh, no. why? <laughs> okay, first of all, I'm screaming away from the microphone, so let's just let's just establish that for future editing purposes. But second of all, I'm the only one who's made that mistake, and I don't recall being an asshole. If anything, I was bold, confident. Displaying leadership skills. I don't see where this, where this is. <laughs> that, was
0: a, that was a flippant comment and I apologize.
1: But you know, also, in addition to all of these strengths, I'm also a really good listener. So I'm just going to be the bigger man and I'm just going to listen to what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I was going to say, I don't know how many clicks it took me to get to Venom, but I ended up on Venom. <laughs> Which is, which is nuts. N- venom is nuts. Okay, venom. Uh, so venom is a type of poison that is secreted by animals, which has evolved in a wide variety of different animals, whether that be predator or prey. So venom falls into four major classes of mechanisms. So there's necrotoxins, cytotoxins, neurotoxins, and myotoxins. And venom is distinguished from other poisons in that, unlike ingested poisons, venom is delivered by a bite, sting, or similar action. So that's the difference between a poison and a venom is a venom is actually, like, put in you. It has to be
2: delivered by one angry bitey boy or girl.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So venom is a great example of convergent evolution in which multiple species have independently developed a venom for a specific purpose, be it defense or offensive. Sorry, defensive or offensive. Got to keep parallel structure there. Um, Please maintain
1: structure. It
0: is difficult... Yeah, right? Um, It is difficult to conclude exactly how this trait came about and why it's so widespread and so diverse. Uh, But the multi-gene families that encode toxins for venomous animals are actively selected. So basically, this creates more diverse toxins with specific functions. So because it's so favored for um, the the more toxic you become the more actively you're selected for and so you just end up creating more and more toxic toxic venoms
1: so you're saying that so v- when like let's like use an animal example, example? yes yeah. sa- are you saying that like animals will selectively breed because of this or are you saying that on like like the level of the genome these are like more dominant traits It's more of
0: um, you're more successful in getting, and you're more successful in being a predator, or you're more successful in being a uh, uh, defending yourself, and so you're able to procreate more Mm. because you're able to successfully hunt, or you're able to successfully defend yourself. Got it? Okay.
1: You're like it's like can't help it, baby. I'm on top. I'm on top.
0: (laughs) so it's it's venoms adapt to their environment and and victims and evolve to become maximally effective on a predator's particular prey so consequently venoms become specific to an animal's standard diet so uh necrotoxins cause necrosis i.e death in the cells they encounter neurotoxins affect the nerve the nervous system of course uh, myotoxins cause muscle damage uh-huh. um, and then cytotoxins kill individual cells so those are the four main mechanisms in which uh, venom works so now let's get into some animals that are venomous. I was literally so about to ask venomous- for examples. <laughs> yes. So this is more of just like a generalized. So venomous arthropods include spiders, which use fangs to inject venom. Centipedes, which use forceptuals, which are modified legs to deliver venom. I didn't know and centipedes then scorpions were in- venomous. Yeah, they can be. Oh my yeah, because they can very venomous. Are they
1: like little pincers, like on the front?
0: Yeah, little modified legs at the front. Yep.
1: Okay, when you say modified legs, Drew... Anything is a modified leg. (laughs) An arm is a modified leg. (laughs) What is? I I think it. Okay, wait, wait. wait. Is it like like claw? Okay, no, it's not like claws. It's like you use both legs on on both sides to be like.
0: Well, it's a centipede, so it has it has a lot of legs,
1: but they're not.
0: It has many legs. One could say a center, center of legs. I hate you but... guys. <laughs> but it's, it's got walking legs and it's got modified legs to poison legs. I'm just
1: going to use... <laughs> Imagine you have people over for a dinner party and you're like, does anyone want to help me in the kitchen? I need some modified legs in here. Can you... Arizona. <laughs> 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 they're modified
0: legs. I need modified legs.
1: Yeah, I got some more modified legs? <laughs> Like kneading the dough, and you're like really get into it with your modified legs. (laughs) Oh my god! Okay, yeah, so Uh. that's clear to me, I guess. (laughs) They're just they're they're different legs.
0: They're forcipy It
1: doesn't mm-hmm. narrow it down at all. Like, could my toes be modified legs? Just many modified legs? No. Oh, no. Uh,
0: they're they're specifically modified to deliver venom. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> Are you
1: fine with that?
2: I- I'm fine with it. Is... Are you fine with it, Lindsay?
1: My mind is going places. My curious mind is going places. <laughs>
0: Uh, and then, of course, you have scorpions and stinging insects, which inject venom through a sting. Now, let's get to bees and wasps, which I found very, very interesting because they use tons of different venoms for different things. Wait, what? so first of all, first, yeah, they use a ton of different venoms.
2: Can they pick what venom they want to inject into you?
0: No, no. Oh, this okay. is just like a. a I thought they had like a belt
2: One fits all. No. Of. Okay. Yep, yeah, <laughs> Great.
1: Like a jukebox of stingers.
2: <laughs> yeah, let me like, oh, no. rotate
1: around to my yeah. <laughs> That toxin. But I didn't realize, sorry, Drew, to interrupt you, but I really didn't no, even realize that that bees and wasps were, or I, I didn't realize they were considered venomous. Just thought that they were yes. painful.
0: Yes, they're venomous. It's a venom that causes the pain.
1: Wow. Is that why people can have like anaphylactic
2: shock? Because they're yes. allergic to the toxins?
0: Yes, they're allergic to the venom. They're not allergic to the sting itself.
2: Wow. Makes sense.
0: So you want to have your mind blown again? Yeah. Yes, please. So the stinger itself is a modified egg-laying device. An oh. ovipositor is what it's called. Oh. So,
2: so glad <laughs> so. I don't have one of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the, the stinger is is modified egg-laying device, which just blew my mind. Um,
2: Did they use it to, to lay their eggs? I believe so. Wow.
0: Or maybe it's it's the modified. Once again, we're we're going for modified, the word modified. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's it's like a sexual.
1: I'm not making any comments.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's a sexual dimorphism where you have one becomes a stinger and one becomes an egg laying device.
1: Yeah. Oh, like humans.
0: Yes, exactly. Interesting. So for example, female bees have a, have a um, they continuously release a venom that contains a sex pheromone that induces copulation behavior in males. That's Alice After Dark for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, bees synthesize and employ an acidic venom to cause pain in those that they sting to defend their hives and food stores whereas wasps use a chemically different alkaline venom designed to paralyze prey so that it can be stored alive in food chambers for their young
2: Whoa. so wasps are just assholes that's demonic I'm yeah
0: right you
1: back alive that's really fucked wow nature is cruel
0: nature is very cruel
1: wow nature is wild
0: yeah there you go um so venom is also used as an alarm pheromone which coordinates a response to a nest uh so that attracts other wasps to attack a predator so when you're stung that's why many bees come out or wasps i should say many wasps come out when you're stung because it's all of a sudden there's an alarm pheromone that's just like attack this thing and oh. so that's why they all come out of the hive together
1: i never knew a, it's that it's
0: venomous pheromone yep Ooh. And then finally, venom is applied all over their body as an antimicrobial protection and has inhibitory effects on the process that lead to organ failure. And so uh, a lot of these are from different bees. So not every bee is gonna, is gonna produce these specific venoms, but um, basically these, these venoms are used throughout bee, I guess, bee I would call it, almost called it bee culture. <laughs> it's not a, <laughs> a throughout, throughout bees and wasps. And so they're just, they're, they're venomous things. Um, and then many, catap- many caterpillars have defensive venom glands associated with specific bristles on their body, which can be lethal to humans, along, <gasps> uh, although the venom strength varies depending on the species.
1: Oh. And then, of course, we
0: have, we have venomous invertebrates, such as the box jellyfish and sea anemones, which I'll An get to later. Yeah, anemones. They're, they are poisonous.
1: Okay, but I used and to then, kiss those spiky caterpillars all the time. <gasps> Did well, ye? you? <laughs> yeah, because they're so cute. Well, you're cute. lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, good thing I'm alive.
0: Yeah, good thing you're alive.
1: Good you're uh,
0: So... Continuo. So, some 450 species of snake are venomous, and snake venom is produced by glands below the eyes, which is ridiculous. It's, it's like it's their like tears. Below their eyes that the venom.
2: Tears, tears of venom.
0: Yeah, tears of venom. It's the mandibular gland, um, and it's derived and it's delivered to the victim through a tubular or channeled fangs and snake venom may have originated from a duplication of genes that was expressed in salivary glands of the ancestors. So basically they ended up with fucked up salivary glands, and then those salivary glands started producing poison, and they're like, this works. So <laughs> 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 that's, uh, that's evolution for you. And then there are living mammals, um, of course living mammals, um, that are venomous. The shrews, vampire bats, the male platypus, and the slow loris are all venomous. And, um, of course, venom is... The slow loris. Oh, they got to (laughs) protect
2: themselves because they're so slow. Whoa!
0: And, of course, the use of venom is way more widespread than just these examples, but these are just the ones that I found and kind of liked. So now let's get into the co-evolution of venomous predator and prey dynamic, where the co-evolution between venomous predators and uh, venom-resistant prey. So this is best described as a chemical arms race, where venom is used as a chemical weapon by predator species. And as the predator capitalizes on susceptible individuals, the surviving individuals are limited to those who are able to evade the predators. And so that evasion can come through either you know, being faster than the prey, or sorry, being faster than the predators, or it could be um, better disguised from the predators, or it could be um, just resistant to the venom of the predators. And the thing about being resistant to the venom of predators is that it's a very, very evolutionarily um, costly process, where you just like, you'd have a lot of you die just because you weren't Um, resistant and then only a few would live on and hopefully repopulate so it's just very very costly to be um, to develop physiological resistance but some animals have done it so the most heavily studied case of venom resistance is the california ground squirrel which is resistant to the venom of the north the northern pacific rattlesnake okay so the predator prey pair have coexisted for generations And the repeat interactions fostered the development of anti-snake venom, defense in the squirrels. However, rattlesnakes themselves have adapted to this and now have become more venomous in order to overcome the venom-resistant squirrels. So as we said, it's this arms race between the squirrel and the rattlesnake where the squirrel will be resistant and then the rattlesnakes will begin to die out. And then now evolution favors the ones that are more venomous and then now the the squirrels are dying out and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. So it's a it's a really big arms race oh, in when it comes to venom.
2: Poor babies. Oh, wow. Millions and millions of years worth of arms. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah exactly.
2: So one day the and squirrels then... hopefully will become more venom resistant and we'll have squirrel domination over rattlesnakes. <laughs>
0: I think that would break the ecosystem. Squirrel rising, oh, wouldn't
2: it warm your heart? Yes. No. I no. love squirrels. <laughs> me too. It's so cute. Oh, uh, that would work. It's for just because I'm Australian and I never get to see them. <laughs> I certainly love squirrels.
0: Squirrels get no love from me. They can. Uh,
2: <laughs> they, they can get bitten by a rattlesnake. They can get bitten by you a care. rattlesnake. Oh, for all I
0: care. <laughs> So the next example is eels and sea snakes.
1: This week has been weirdly full of eels (laughs) for (laughs) me.
2: What other eels have you had in your life this week?
1: I was talking to a friend about doing science outreach and how we get the best questions from little kids. And this is, like, a fellow astronomer, and he was telling me this story about how he was, like, presenting to a bunch of kids, and one of them, I guess, just realized, like, oh, I'm talking to a scientist, I gotta ask my science questions. And the kid would not let him leave until the kid fully (laughs) understood how electric eels work. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I think it's the cutest thing. Because I bet he said something like electricity, you know, like talking about yeah. space. And I bet the kid was like, oh, my God, he knows how eels work. Like. <laughs> 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 oh, that is so cute. And I just I can't get it out of my head. So I've been talking about it all week. <laughs> this is cute kid I've never it. seen. No, that's good.
0: I love, I love when little kids find out you're a scientist and they're just like, uh, why is the sky blue? And you're like, uh...
2: <laughs> go on, tell us about the eels and the sea Okay. Snakies.
0: So a sea snake venom is composed of a complex mixture of neurotoxin, myotoxin, and nephrotoxins, which go for your kidneys. I'm sorry, your liver. Oof. um And the composition of a sea snake venom is species-specific. So the biggest piece of evidence for the case of coevolution is that eels that are favored by sea snakes as prey have unusually high tolerance to the venom of sea snakes while non-prey fish exhibit very low levels of resistance to sea snake venom so this kind of shows that the ones that are hunted are going to have high resistance while the ones that are not hunted are going to have very low resistance mm. so i just found that very interesting that you know When you're hunted, you're kind of forced to have this higher tolerance, while when you're not hunted, you don't have that (laughs) pressure. So it just kind of shows how co-evolution kind of happens here. That's incredible. So, Yeah, right?
2: It's amazing how many things have evolved just to evolve to fight something else. (laughs) It really is really cool.
0: Now, the most metal example that I have is the king snake. And the king snake is a constrictor snake that preys on venomous snakes. It eats other snakes. I only
2: know oh my about God, this... so it's like a snake cannibal.
1: I only know about exactly. this because the Black Keys just put out a song called Crawling King Black Snake. There you that's
2: go. That's really cool. <laughs> a
1: little bit of pop culture for you. little pop culture
0: for you. So in order to prey on venomous snakes, the king snake has actually evolved resistance to a bunch of different snake venom. And instead of incrementally increasing their resistance to the point of immunity, like many other species, the king snake resistance is just constant. It's like a fixed throughout its life and does not change with age or exposure. So basically this king snake is born as I'm resistant to all these things and can attack all these snakes whenever I
1: want. Very aptly named. He's just like, yeah, I'm here. The king snake. Yeah. Are these common, Drew?
0: No, this is, this is uh, Southeast Canada to Southeast Ecuador. I don't actually, no, that sounds pretty common. I was going to say, it's okay, so Americas. it's like
1: multiple continents <laughs> the entire world. Yes. All of the Americas. All of the Americas. No, it's just half the world. It's just half the world, you know. <laughs> I,
0: I just don't know if they're actually that common.
1: Yeah, yeah, like in these places.
0: In these places, yeah. Um, but this comes with one stipulation to the king snake. So the king snake has evolved resistance only to venom of snakes that it's in its, in its immediate environment, Mm. like copperheads, cottonmouth and the North American rattlesnakes. But the venom of other snakes, such as king cobras and black mambas, which are not in its environment, it does not have resistance to. Mm. So it just developed resistance to things that it's going to encounter.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Which
0: actually makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really cool that king snakes, if they were more likely to like meet a copperhead, or they have like a high copperhead population, they'd be more resistant to copperhead venom versus you know like a regular North American rattlesnake. So I just found that super interesting that mm-hmm. they uh, they're varied.
2: I wonder if that evolutionary much. they have like instinct into what what snakes they are more resistant to and what snakes they aren't, or if they just go for anything.
0: Hmm.
2: And they just cross their fingers and hope, hope they're okay. Hope
0: they're resistant. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Sarah. I love snakes.
0: Uh, hard pass on snakes for me. Hard pass.
2: <laughs> you I'm don't like squirrels. You don't like snakes. What do you like, Drew? <laughs> squirrels Those are fine. Slow fun. loris. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've just I've had way too many encounters with venomous snakes that I'm just like I'm I don't really like you.
1: <laughs> I've had my face next to a copperhead,
0: which that's oh, terrible. Yeah,
1: <laughs> for fun. No, I was helping. I was in like rural Pennsylvania, and I was helping a friend at the time. Uh, there was about to be a wedding outside, and we were like tasked with picking up a lot of like. I don't know like nuts or like hard things that had fallen from this tree but we were warned that there were snakes kind of in the area and like you know earlier that day I thought that I saw first I thought that I saw like a a, like a piece of tire like a thrown away like broken tire but it turned out to be um, a coiled like six foot long black snake and so like my friends (laughs) so the person you know whose house it was like got rid of the snake for us and whatever and then he was like oh you need to watch out for the copperheads and I was like okay what does that look like and he described it you know brown with these diamond patterns on them and so I was collecting nuts around the tree and I was stooped next to the tree and from the corner of my eye I saw like a weird looking blur so I looked up and I had been bending down picking up things right next to a copperhead. And so I Oh
2: my God. I
1: panicked, but it was like a very calm, controlled panic. I stood up, I turned to my friend, I said, We need to get in the house right now. And she didn't believe me. And so I was like, fuck you, I'm getting in the house. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I called over uh, you know, the guy whose whose house we were staying at, and from the backyard he goes, Great job, Lindsay, you found a copperhead and I was like, I was <laughs> 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 My friend nearly shatter herself. She was like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Oh,
2: I I think I would have I would have been a little scared. I think because if- I respect them, but I, I don't like I can imagine they would get spooked easily and then
1: that's what I find so incredible. Like, I keep saying I love snakes because what I find so incredible about them is they have no limbs. They don't have advanced legs or whatever the fuck we were saying before. Like, they modified, modified legs. legs. One, like, they all the ass long muscle. <laughs> All, yeah. All they have is their torso. They have to go into everything they do with their whole fucking chest. They have to commit a hundred percent. Like there's no like literal or figurative like toe in the water. Like if you're a snake, you have to charge in head first with everything you have. And the fact that gotta- we are afraid of them is amazing. But I think it's terrifying when they, like
2: terrifying, but also kind of very cool when they sit up and they've mm. just got that very aggressive
1: neck stance. Yes. I love that, though. Like, I just, I love that they have to fully commit to every single decision they make and they are still so powerful. Like, to me, that's, like, the, the like, coolest lesson in life is that snakes continuously dive head first and they are just, like, incredible predators. Like, that's, like... oh man like i was just i want to be a snake
2: (laughs) maybe you can come back as one reincarnate as a snake yeah (laughs) (laughs) i got to hold a snake on my birthday this year actually on purpose cute little yeah yeah at a zoo it was just a cute little like maybe a two or three meter long little itty bitty one Um, and she was really pretty, but apparently she was one of the snakes that is a cannibal snake and will eat other small snakes out in the wild. Yeah. Get them. Sorry, Drew, we hijacked your, um, your bit with snake love.
0: (laughs) It's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, just Venom, Venom was super cool. And I was like, I really want to know what makes Venom, Venom and that's toxins so there you go
2: (laughs) (laughs) thank you i thought that was amazing and a nice little segue into my bit because you talked a lot about different types of evolution which Mm -hmm. in my story i get to mention mr charles darwin so
0: i think oh there you go oh
1: shoot i'm bringing in the big big guns wait i forgot that i had to apologize to the audience For what? What? I don't know why Darwin made me think of that. Like famous apologist, Charles Darwin. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you have to apologize to the audience? Because in one of our last episodes, I think it was two episodes ago when we were talking about product placement. Yeah. Yes. I excitedly brought up that fact about um subliminal advertising. Okay, well let's have a little <laughs> let's
2: let's take it down to a little apology corner. Do you want to do you want to apologize, Lindsay?
1: <laughs> Guys, I'm really really sorry that I got carried away hating on capitalism and the ways that it takes advantage of all of us and in a moment of heated fury I did not read past an ad on an article that I quickly Googled that said that the statistic about making up, well, the statistic about subliminal advertising was fake and it was a fabricated fake study and it was proved false that there were such dramatic effects due to subliminal advertising. It's still bad. Subliminal advertising is still illegal, but it wasn't as bad. And so I'm sorry.
0: You are forgiven.
1: <laughs> you are forgiven. <laughs> you are forgiven. And
2: oh, I'm you've also been blessed by Father <laughs> Jew.
1: Oh my god, you can't say that.
2: <laughs> Alrighty, so my um, woman that I found is called Harriet uh, Martineau and I think she's amazing. It only took four clicks to get here. And the reason, so I was originally on another famous woman from the 19th century who was um, praised for being like a social uh, justice leader and and all all of these different things. And the reason I clicked off her to Harriet is because there was a quote of Harriet sassing the shit out of this woman (laughs) saying that she was all talk and no action. So I was like, oh, big word so mm. i read harriet's um page and i did some more research into her and she is pretty badass she's awesome um so a little bit about her she was born in june of 1802 so long long time ago compared to compared to now um and she died in 1876 that is a very long lifespan back in the 19th century yeah 72 years so she almost 74 years actually she lived a very long time and this is even more impressive considering how many different um issues she had with her health throughout her life as well so i'll get more into that later but like very long life so good on her for surviving the 19th century because i don't think i would have (laughs) um And so basically she was an English social theorist and she um was often seen as the very first female um sociologist, so the very first female like writer and like kind of philosopher diving into the idea of women's rights and race rights and um like like whose whose position should it be in the home to be the home carer and in politics should we have um like representation from you know not just ye old white men but we should have not only women but we should have people of color and she was she was very amazing for her time um and so a lot of where her very strong kind of awesome feminist like thinking came from was because she had a really strained relationship with her mother like her mother wasn't very affectionate or very um attentive to her and so she described her as you know cold um and and unaffectionate and so um and and she claims in some of her writings that she was just basically abandoned as soon as she was born to the wet nurse or to her nanny so it wasn't the motherly figure that brought her up um but this is why she kind of like questioned a woman's place in the home um which i thought was really really cool and so back to her not so great health so when she was really young she began losing her sense of taste and smell um and then she also became increasingly deaf throughout her year um her years and she had to use an ear trumpet Uh. to listen to people and i don't know if you guys have ever seen what an ear trumpet looks like
1: yes
2: but holy dooly (laughs) like amazing amazing invention but can you imagine trying to have a serious conversation with someone and they have an insanely huge ear trumpet looking at you. I think, I think, I thought they were very, very cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Excuse me, I must put my ear trumpet
2: down.
1: <laughs> yes. Anything you have <clears throat> to say to me, you can also say to the ear trumpet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. Yeah. So this 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 badass girl with her ear trumpet. Um, so at the age of 19, she began writing anonymously for the monthly repository, which was a Unitarian periodical because she grew up in a very Unitarian household, very um, religious, very strict type of household. So this was the the experience that she had had. So she began writing about her experiences. Um, and then she published her first, her first like, soul work uh only a few years later so she was about 21 when she published her first um like work called devotional exercises addresses prayers and hymns which is a little bit different to some of her later work but i thought that was pretty impressive for a woman of her time to Mm -hmm. be not only writing and literate but also like self basically self-employed like going out earning her own money for her own work
1: yeah and a little controversial Um, yeah which
2: i guess is why she was writing anonymously for them because she was a woman she was a female she was young and unwed so you know back in those days if you were young dumb and unwed you (laughs) had no place really
1: um (laughs) which is a very sad truth yeah to be writing instructionals too like i don't know like uh, yeah that's yeah. very interesting
2: yeah it's a very out of character for most women of her time and most women from that unitarian like background mm-hmm. um but while she was doing that she also worked for her family's textile business so she was working in the family trade because again young unwed she had to stay home and and do 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 some of the family work um but in 1829 so she would have been um just before she turned 30 that business failed and she described it as the greatest thing to ever happen (laughs) because it made made her realize that she needed to truly live instead of vegetate and just do what was expected of her within family and societal norms
1: Go her. which i
2: think is so badass yes it's amazing
1: absolutely go her
2: yeah so when this happened she started um earning most of the living for her family so not only was she still selling articles into that monthly repository um she was also entering like essay prizes so for- Um, like independent thought essays you could you could write
1: and enter for different prices a bit like other writing competitions now so was this Um, still anonymously or under her name at this point this i'm a
2: little unsure of i couldn't find out for sure all of her unitarian work but definitely later on when it's more self-written work so her independent books definitely under her name okay which again That's it's cool. still amazing
1: for, for yeah. that time period absolutely like it's kind of amazing she was even published because it's kind of around this time like the bronte sisters were like themselves publishing like they're just my go-to because they're my favorite but like you know they yeah. they all took on or er, men's names um and they were not publishing nearly such controversial stuff yeah yeah exactly
2: um, because she started to write, like, things about... This is when she really dived into writing about different types of politics. And um, shortly after, she took a trip to the United States. And she met with abolish, uh, abolitionists, abo- ab- abolitionists? Abolitionists? Abolition. That word. Yeah, so she took a trip to the US. She met with abolitionists. And, you know, she met with people who were trying to basically break down slavery and break down the race divide in America, which at the time hugely controversial and especially Mm -hmm. for a well-educated british woman to to be on the side of basically you know the humanitarians the people who actually gave a shit about human life Mm -hmm. and and human justice um so that was really controversial because she wrote a lot about that as well when she returned to england about how you know it was basically a disgrace and that it needed to change which again like good honor for being such um like a vocal ally back in back in the times Mm -hmm. um so this is a little bit where we get to mentioning charles darwin so i told you he came into the into the story and so charles darwin So he was on his exhibition to the Galapagos Islands, which anyone who knows anything about Charles Darwin knows that the Galapagos Islands were like the treasure trove of where he really started to figure out different evolutionary um, traits and paths with all different birds. Um, So big trip for him, very, very important. And while he was there, he received a letter from his sisters. Um, Basically, they were recommending her writings and her books to him. So he received a letter from his sisters saying that Harriet was now a great lion in London. She was much patronized by Lord Braham, who has set her up to write stories on the Poor Laws. And they recommended the Poor Laws and the Paupers uh, illustrated book uh, as a good read for him. And they know uh, that one of them, one of their brothers knows her and is a very great admirer and everybody reads her little books. And if you have a dull hour, you can and then throw them overboard as they may not take up your precious room. <laughs> so I thought it was quite funny. They're like, yeah, it's worth a read, you know, give it a quick quick read. Chuck it overboard. Don't have to waste too much room in your luggage for
0: it.
2: <laughs> but definitely give it a read.
1: Yeah. It's important enough to bring with you, but not important <laughs> enough to bring back. <laughs> it's so funny
2: that like that whole idea of just like chucking out crap we don't need or that's not necessary was even back in that time oh right like so wasteful yeah just but, to the ocean. Know, no no judgment um but yeah so he got like a personal recommendation by his sisters and and one of their um their friend's brothers to read this book which i thought was really really cool that someone like i'm a fangirling for her that she was mentioned to charles darwin And she later, she later got to meet him. And this is a Darwin quote that I thought was just like chef's kiss. Okay. Good. (laughs) Okay. So this is Darwin's quote about meeting her. She was very agreeable and managed to talk on the most wonderful number of subjects, considering the limited time. I was astonished to find how little ugly she is. But as it appears to me, she is overwhelmed with her own projects, her own thoughts and own abilities. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> what <laughs> a There's a so it's like a compliment but it's like a backhanded compliment Handed Compliment? it was like oh <laughs> she's actually not ugly considering she's yeah. <laughs> really interesting
1: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh Darwin wait oh my god so, but, oh, okay. Wait. it was Darwin who said this
2: <laughs> yeah this is this is the Charles Darwin himself so he he really liked her. He enjoyed her company and was pleasantly surprised that her face was not
1: hideous. So, never meet your heroes. The <laughs> that's the message in all of this.
2: What a prick! Oh, imagine if imagine if your hero told you, "Oh, you're actually not as ugly as I thought you were going to be." <laughs>
1: I think I would cry.
2: <laughs> I'd
1: be
0: devastated. <laughs>
1: I feel like, I feel like everybody goes through at least once in their life, somebody just absolutely demolishing them with a backhanded compliment like this. Like, I wonder if she just took it in stride, like, well, thanks for reading my book.
2: Yeah, I reckon she would have been like, hell yes, I'm smart and beautiful. Thank you very much, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's what you make of it yeah it really is (laughs) so uh she had an awesome life um and as i said her health was not great so she was losing her sight she was losing her hearing um and then before she turned just before she turned 40 she was taking a trip to europe um and she was diagnosed with uh uterine tumors so back in those days there was not much you could really do like surgery was really still experimental for being able to actually remove organs and survive that type of surgery yeah um and because she, at this point i don't believe she had had any children as well so that was probably controversial in the time as well to remove mm-hmm. a woman's sex organs which especially after they amazing. haven't been
1: put to proper use
2: yeah exactly which we know now is just a
1: load of BS, but I say that facetiously <laughs> <laughs> So she got really really
2: sick when she had this this tumor and what was kind of ironic was her illness because it like mitigated her into being at like a bedside manner like she wasn't very well. she was very sickly. She had to literally enact the social constraints of women during the time so she had to stay home she had to be the you know that idea mm-hmm. of a homely woman rather than being her normal socialite self and her her normal like well read and well traveled self and mm-hmm. so this kind of inspired her a lot to write a number of different books um so some of these were some commentary about her illness and about how the philosophy of how that made her feel um, but she also wrote some children's books. Uh, she wrote, actually, she wrote a whole series of children's books. And they all sound amazing. I want to get them and see and see what they, they read like. Because some of them are called like The Peasant and the Prince, um, The Settlers at Home, The Crofton Boys. They all sound really interesting. Um, so then she also wrote a book called Household Education, um, which was... Like it was advertised as like the proper way to raise and educate your children and so in that she advocated for that the female children should be just as well educated and well literate and versed as the male children um Exactly. And then she started to write her very own autobiography, which again, at the time of woman writing their own autobiography, mm-hmm. like shocking that a woman could be that interesting to, to have something <laughs> to say.
1: Um, but then yeah, but she's not to that to get ugly. <laughs> I don't know why you're surprised. If she's not that ugly, it's fine. <laughs>
2: I love it. <laughs> um (laughs) yeah she wasn't that ugly this is how she got her book deals i'm kidding she got her book deals because she was very smart and very talented and not that ugly (laughs) ugly. yeah so during this time because she was kind of like housebound she was a little bit sad and she kind of like just expected that she was going to be basically an invalid for the rest of her life she wasn't going to be able to to live life as she had before so she dabbled in her brand new hobby which was a freaking telescope (sighs) i thought that was amazing that she um yeah she was like i'm not giving up on being learned or educating myself that is very
1: inspirational she's beautiful on the inside and the outside that's what this tells me
2: exactly Um, So I thought she was fascinating and I thought I would end on um, a little bit of her philosophy that maybe it's something that we can all remember. Um, So she taught that the study of society must include all in its aspects, including political, religious, social instructions and education. So and she insisted that all of this needed to be included in the lives of women. So women needed to be educated about political circumstances social circumstances religious circumstances cuz you know she came from a very religious family but a lot of the time especially back 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 in the 1900s there was no questioning why you were the religion you were like you were born into it mm-hmm. this is this is it um so she really was the first female sociologist to really advocate for not only women's rights but as i said wor- working with some people in the americas just basic human rights and you know not having slavery not taking advantage of those who have less than you um which which i thought was amazing and in her autobiography her final like call upon uh, sociologists was to do more than just observe and theorize and like philosophic- philosophical F- philosophical
0: philosophize how-
2: yeah that word um do more than that but actually work to help build and benefit society in the future if you're noticing the things that it's lacking you can help in building them up yeah was very happy to learn about her and her life and i'm excited to try get some of her books and actually read them and then toss them in the ocean when you're done. (laughs) (laughs) Needn't keep it. It will take up much needed space.
1: (laughs) Imagine Sarah's reading (laughs) on the beach and then just frisbees it into the ocean when she's done. See
2: ya. It was good enough for Darwin. It's good enough for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. It's just like floating in the middle distance, bobbing up (laughs) and... sure books don't float but whatever so sarah can you remind me when she died she died in 1876 that's incredible because my story takes place in 1878 there you go amazing we're in basically the same time period yes drew and i are in the same part of the internet you and i are on the same time period It's all connected. And can you remind
2: me, what was the topic of your thing?
1: Yeah, so... Thimble pins? uh, Thimble tickle. Thimble tickle. Oh, I hope this is really cute. So my topic could be a little bit... um, I don't know if offensive is the word or a little bit harmful or displeasant or unpleasant, probably. Um, There are themes that are related to hurting animals so if anybody finds that upsetting i recommend that you definitely skip my part and it's probably best that i've gone last maybe you can just skip to the end of the episode um you know obviously won't be offended but i just wanted to make sure that um people had a heads up so that nothing was um you know any kind of upsetting to anybody i'm i'm already in the apology corner (laughs) (laughs) now Um, you're in the shame corner (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just, It's like it's like Dante's Inferno, but just different like levels of self hatred. Um, but yes, just please be cautioned um, if you are listening to this. Okay. Alrighty. Um. So my question to you guys. So my my topic is thimble tickle. Um. What do you think a thimble tickle is? Hmm.
2: Um, I think of because of how much you expressed your love for caterpillars in Drew's segment. <laughs> I I don't know why I feel like it's like tickling the little thick belly of, of caterpillars.
1: I think a tiny thing that you tickle. Yeah, <laughs> tiny tickle.
0: Hmm. Symbol tickle. I know what a thimble is only from Monopoly because there's the thimble.
2: (laughs) Not from real life, only Monopoly. (laughs) Monopoly. Next, Drew will be like, I know what a car is. Only from Monopoly. Monopoly. (laughs) I have
0: no I have no clue. I <laughs> just wanted to point out that I only know what a thimble is from
1: Monopoly. Okay. <laughs> so a tickle is actually a like actual term that has to do with like a stream or like a river sort of a thing. A tickle. <laughs> oh. So um, a tickle it goes through like an area uh, of land, I guess. And um, the area where my story takes place is this area known as thimble tickle or thimble tickles in the plural. Um, the actual official definition, now that I'm actually looking at my notes, is a narrow strait. So it goes through some bit of land. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. But the, the area of Thimble Tickle today is called Glover's Harbor. Glover's is the name of the person who or didn't discover the place, but I guess one of the settlers in the 1800s who came and claimed this place. Stole the place? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. so my story takes place in very, very, very northeastern uh, Canada, which is where Thimble Tickle is located. But like I said, it's now presently called Glover's Harbor and glover's harbor or thimble tickle however you want to refer to it i will be historic and call it thimble tickle because i can Um, yeah i like the thimble tickle (laughs) sounds more fun it holds a guinness world record Mm -hmm. the place and um i wanted i want to just set the stage for the moment that the world record was was won Okay, so you can really put yourself there. So it's 1878, and the person Sarah just talked about, whose name I can't pronounce, just died (laughs) (laughs) in 1876. Um, The world is, like, up and coming. Like, we just kind of discovered the internal combustion engine or invented it or whatever. Like, the typewriter was discovered, or not really (laughs) discovered. Discovered. In the wilderness
2: of America, they found the typewriter
1: right somebody discovered a typewriter in the jungles of uh (laughs) um you know there's stuff that's like i'm pretty sure so bissell invents the first vacuum cleaner um in 1876 very important item Yep, the telephone, the first version of the telephone by Alexander Graham Bell also was invented in 1876. Moving pictures first came about, the phonograph, and we are a year before the light bulb is invented. So we're really on the cusp of all of this new technology. Um, Okay. And Thimble Tickle earns the Guinness World Record on a chilly November day. It's a very, very, very small, uh, like, fisherman's harbor sort of an area. In fact, when the area was mm-hmm. founded, it had about 67 people <laughs> living mm-hmm. oh, in wow. the settlement. And looking at, um, like, kind of a, a histogram of different uh, population sizes, sometimes as few as 11 people lived in Thimble Tickle. Today, it's closer wow. to about 92 people. So a very, very small fishing area. Little Do you harder. think they are all related? <laughs> like, I mean, at the time that there were eleven people, sure. You know, I mean, <laughs> probably one family. Yeah. And so it's a chilly November day on in 1878, and three men are out in a uh, fishing boat, and they realize that the waves start to get really, really rough. And we know from secondhand accounts of the day that the men saw something that they described as a devil fish. <laughs> In hmm. fact, it is also known as the thimble tickle specimen. Oh. <laughs> oh. And I love that the Wikipedia article says it was so, so the direct quote is it was not far from the locality where the other devil fish was cast ashore and the name of this what, other more? this other devil fish is called the three arms specimen and at first i'm like holy <laughs> shit what has three arms like advanced legs or whatever the fuck um, <laughs> modified, legs. <laughs> modified <laughs> legs modified legs <laughs> no it turns out three arms was just another shitty name of a place <laughs> So both Thimble Tickle and Three Arms are just the names of these fishing towns. Actually has nothing to do with the devilfish. <clears throat> I'm kind of glad. And so in this shallow water where the men are um, about to go fishing, they encounter a giant squid. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yes. So I love giant squids. At some point, a giant squid had come into too shallow water and was thrashing around near the fishing boat and yes he was lost you feel really bad exactly but the guys on the boat because remember this is a fishing town are like oh shit this is a massive fucking fish like this is great and We've gotta feed ourselves for 20 years (laughs) so the world record is that this is the largest giant squid that has ever been seen by humans oh my god wow and so i'm putting you right back in the place of of the discovery 2nd of november 1878 this giant squid stuff of nightmares is thrashing around and it has these large glassy eyes and these massive suction cups that have a diameter of about 10 centimeters across like it is I would have thought it was like the Kraken coming to get them. It is enormous, Sarah. It measures fifty eight feet or sixteen meters long. Oh my god, that is a big squiddy boy. Bigger than the
2: snake you ran over. <laughs> it's huge. It's a massive
1: squid. I would be terrified. Imagine how big its beak would be. Yes. Oh I know. And so No the thing is like uh, churning the water and it's like thrashing all over the place. These arms are just so monumental that they are trying to dodge the the thrashing arms. There's black ink everywhere, and they say, "All right, we're fishermen, and like this is like some some huge some huge massive fish. Don't go anywhere." And so. <laughs> like, just wait right there. They're, wait right there. So they, they're like, you know, hang on, hang on. So they they wrap it in rope. And they're like, okay, don't swim away, don't get away. So they they tie the rope to a tree. <laughs> <laughs> like like you would a dog. So they tie they tie up the giant squid to a tree. But then the tide oh, goes no. out. <laughs> oh no. And so the squid dies because he was tied to a fucking tree (laughs) and the tide went out. And so the people in these men would have been so confused. And not only that, but like I said, this is a world record. There has never been a squid this large before. And instead of preserving the specimen or studying it, it was immediately cut up for dog food. (laughs) What? Dog food? Dog food. They had
2: premium calamari and they used it for dog food.
1: They had what could have been one of the most scientific, like important scientific discoveries, especially regarding giant squids. And it was immediately cut up for dog food.
2: I am
1: speechless. (laughs) What's also kind of amazing is, you know, no pictures survive. And it's all kind of secondhand accounts of the people who were there. The, there there were three fishermen, like I said. Two of them still remain unnamed. Like, this was very poorly documented. And so it's also been a little bit controversial as to whether or mm. not this is the largest uh, giant squid. Like because there's scant evidence. It didn't happen. Yeah, I mean... I think that they are sure that it happened, but part of the science or finesse of measuring a giant squid is actually a little bit involved. So there are parts Mm -hmm. of the, um, the arms, I guess that are a little bit, uh, elastic. So nobody knows if the parts of the squid were stretched all the way and then measured, or if they were left to relax and then, uh, measured. Mm -hmm. So, What's tricky is, like nowadays, we have enough data on giant squids that there's, uh, I think that there is speculated, I'm trying to, somewhere I had like a quote of like how many different species of giant squid people think that there are. So, you know, there is some diversity among them. Uh, But the idea is that the thimble tickle specimen was so big that people think that maybe it was incorrectly measured. And I love that in the Mm. Wikipedia article, one of the reasons that this could have been poorly measured is because at the time people just counted paces. (laughs) 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 They just walked next to it. You might have just
2: had someone with really tiny feet
1: walking next to the giant (laughs) squid. Or they're like, you know, I sang Mary Had a Little Lamb three times while I walked (laughs) along the side. (laughs) So um, there is some controversy. But if you go to Thimble Tickle today, there is a replica of the giant squid. And just looking at pictures of the statue, you can really start to understand just what it would have been like to be in like a tiny little boat next to the damn thing. It is huge.
2: Oh my goodness, can I propose that when we're allowed to travel again, we have Go Ask Alice retreat it's in Thimble, Thimble Tickle. Tickle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's like kind of crazy is like I feel like everyone in Thimble Tickle would know that we were outsiders because it is such a small All town, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: We're just here to see the squid. <laughs> yeah. Did they give it a name? No. Apart from Devilfish? Like it wasn't named Fred
1: or. No. Kendrick or something. I think we That's should name shame. it. That was a missed opportunity. Yeah. Petition to name Thimble Tickle the devil. F- Thimble Tickle devilfish.
0: <laughs> the devil Thimble fish. Tickle
1: devilfish. Fish.
2: But it I was... think we should give him a friendly name, like Stuart. I think what
1: I love... I like Stuart. Stuart. Stuart the squid. Stuart. What's funny to me is that the name of the the area like the tourist attraction is called the giant squid interpretation site <laughs> <laughs> let's ponder you can and can
2: interpret what happened <laughs>
1: yeah, let's interpret man's <laughs> folly in immediately making dog food <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh imagine though silver lining of the story how happy those poppers would have been true very true it would have been very happy boys and girls
1: but yeah that's the that that is incredible
0: (laughs) that's the story of thimble tickle
1: yeah that
2: is how did you find that that's amazing how many clicks did you say it took you three
1: wow (laughs) yeah because i think it was like moby dick very quickly went into um Like other stories of massive sea creatures of course and then I was like oh hell yeah giant squids like I love that and then I think very quickly I saw Thimble Tickle and I was like yeah clicking on that (laughs) 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 but it redirects it redirects right to Glover's Harbor as it should
2: I love it
1: yeah today has been weirdly about mutated arms
2: I enjoyed it God, so much more learning <laughs> about venom and giant speeds.
1: Thank you so much for hanging out with us as things took weirder and weirder turns, both because of us and the internet. Um, we have loved hanging out with you, and we really love hearing your ideas and uh, places that you have ended up on the internet or other just cool facts that you may have learned that week. So, definitely come hang out with us at Go Ask Alice Pod on Twitter. Uh, yeah, so we just want to keep sharing with you guys our own love for um, the strange and unusual, and we love to hear all of the places that you also find yourself at 3 o'clock in the morning. So, thank you so, so, so much for spending time with us and I look forward to being your friend.
2: Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. (laughs) Actually, do books float?